please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 for our scripture reading today. So our sermon outline is available online, um, either on the sermon page or on the online bulletin. Um, so you can, you can go to that on your phones right now and follow along uh, during the sermon. So Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read verse 4 through 17. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you and have found my bad. <laughs> uh, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he saw it with tears. Amen. I want to begin by thanking the Haiti team for their presentation this morning. It was my privilege to join with them and go to Haiti and serve the people there. Uh, going to Haiti was much different from what I expected. I did not expect to find such beauty in Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and we certainly found a lot of poverty there in Haiti on our trip. Normally, I don't think that poverty and beauty can go together. But my first view of Haiti and walking through the airport terminal was looking out the picture window as we walked through that airport. And outside the window, we saw this incredibly beautiful mountain. Now, I didn't think that there would be a mountain on such a small island, but there it was. 
and it was majestic, and it was incredibly beautiful. And when we traveled around Haiti, we also saw other beautiful parts of God's creation. Here's a picture of our last day in Haiti, where we went to a, a resort there, and this was some of the beauty that we saw in Haiti itself. I discovered, though, that the most beautiful part of Haiti was not the natural scenery there in the country. The most beautiful part of Haiti was rather the people of the church that we had the chance to meet. As you might imagine, the people of Haiti have to endure a lot. A lot. Many people in Haiti are hungry. As you, may have, as you have just heard, uh, Haiti has no running water in much of it. And many people in Haiti lost family members in a large earthquake in the year 2010, which killed over 200,000 people. And the roads of Haiti, they are an endurance test all by themselves. I remember riding up that mountain that you saw in the picture there for over two hours to visit a church one day. I don't think our, our driver, Valerie, meant to hit every pothole on the way up the mountain, but he somehow managed to do it. And by the end of that trip, I was checking to see if I still had all of my vital organs. I knew that my heart was still beating, but I had no idea where my kidneys were after all that bouncing up and down all the way up the mountain. And so I asked myself, you know, is this really worth it to go up this mountain? But you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it to meet Christians who were enduring in their faith, in spite of the difficulties of life in Haiti. They still love Jesus, and they still love talking to other people about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, which we just read, we saw that Christians are people who endure. They keep going in faith. At times we ask ourselves, why should I endure? Why shouldn't I just quit? Let's look at Hebrews 12 this morning and see two different reasons to endure in your faith in Jesus Christ. First of all, you endure because you are loved by God. The author of Hebrews was writing to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, we saw that the church was enduring persecution, they were enduring slander, and they were enduring imprisonment. The church, when was being tempted to give up on their faith, they were tempted to give in to this social pressure in order to avoid persecution. They were tempted to give up their Christian faith and to go back to their Jewish faith. But the author reminds the church in verse 4 that they were not yet shedding their blood for their faith. They weren't yet being killed simply because they were Christians. But how should the church look at the hard times that they were enduring? Well, four times in verses 5 through 7, the author uses the very same word. Discipline. The church was being disciplined by God so that they might endure in their faith. Now, when you hear the word discipline, what kinds of people do you think about who built discipline into you? I think of two different kinds of people. I think first of my parents who disciplined me, and I also think of athletic coaches who also 
worked on me, to discipline me. Let's think first about parents. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6 is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And how does the quote begin? My son. A child is instructed in this verse not to take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Why not? Verse 6 tells us that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. God is our Heavenly Father. And what do parents do with children that they love? They discipline them. Verse 7 is probably the key verse in this entire passage, which tells us what God is doing when he disciplines us. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? Christian, you must endure to the end of your life, the author says. But if you are going to endure, you need the discipline that God will supply in your life. You need the discipline that parents give their children. Now, discipline is painful. Verse 11 reminds us that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So when we sin, both God and our parents discipline us. And that discipline involves pain of some kind. When I was a child, the pain of discipline that my parents inflicted on me usually involved some serious pain to my backside. They wanted to send me a message. Sin leads to discipline, and discipline equals pain. God, as our Heavenly Father, sends to us the same message. He gives us the pain of discipline when we sin against Him. But is the pain of discipline, is that a a good sign for us, or is that a bad sign for us? Believe it or not, It is actually a good sign. The pain of discipline in your life is a sign that God is your Heavenly Father who loves you very much. If God were not your Father, He would not care when you sinned. But He does care. So what does He do when you sin? He sends discipline. Painful discipline. He is like the parent who says to his child, This hurts me more than it hurts you. God sends us discipline when we sin because he loves us. Our Heavenly Father wants to correct our behavior. So many people seem to think that it is the person who has the easy, comfortable life without pain. Those are the people who are truly loved by God. But what would Hebrews 12 say to that? Maybe not. Maybe people who have less pain in life are people who are not God's children and therefore are not being disciplined. On the other hand, maybe the people who are enduring a lot of pain in life are not being cursed by God. Rather, maybe... God is disciplining them as his children because he loves them very much. 
Now, God does not just discipline his children when they sin. God also disciplines them to build up their endurance in life. That is why I think there is not only the picture of God as Father in Hebrews 12, there is also a picture here of God as our coach. In verse 4, the author writes about your struggle against sin. Now, the word struggle is a word that was used to describe boxing matches in the Olympic Games in the first century. So if you want to win a boxing match, what kind of discipline are you going to need to endure? The discipline of physical training. If you don't train for a boxing match, you will be out of energy in about 30 seconds. You will be easy pickings for someone to slug you and knock you out. You need to be trained so that your body can endure until the end of the match, so that you can win. Sometimes, then, God does discipline us because we have sinned. God disciplines, though, also he disciplines us not because we have sinned. He also disciplines us so that we can endure, so that we can keep our faith until the end of the fight, until the end of our lives. Church, God wants you to be able to finish your fight. So he trains you to make you a better fighter against your enemy. On the night of Friday, February 22nd, 1980, I went to my job as a busboy at the country club, and something unusual happened that night. The customers at the restaurant were allowed to watch TV that night. Now, usually no one could watch TV in the restaurant on a Friday night. It was supposed to be a classy place where you would enjoy food with your family. So what was so important that the TV had to be on that Friday night? It was the night of the Olympic hockey game between the United States and the Soviet Union at Lake Placid, New York. It was the very height of the Cold War between the Americans and the Russians. And the Russian hockey team was this group of professionals who had won the Olympics every year since 1960. They had won gold in 1964, in 1968, in 1972, and in 1976. And they certainly were expected to win the gold medal again in 1980. There was no doubt that they were going to beat the American team because the Americans were a bunch of amateurs. They were a bunch of college students who were out playing against these professionals. But on that Friday night in February of 1980, the Russians actually lost to the Americans in the semifinals of the Olympic hockey tournament. They lost by a score of 4-3. to three. This was considered one of the greatest upsets in sports history. So how did the Americans do it? Before the Olympics, the American hockey coach Herb Brooks said this, We may not be the best team in the Olympics, but we will be the most fit team. Coach Brooks trained his players so that they were in the best shape of any team in the tournament. He drove them to skate and skate and skate until the team felt like their legs were going to burn off. And because they were trained so hard and so well, they were able to defeat their greatest foe. 
You have probably heard athletic trainers say to you, no pain, no gain. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. God trains us through a series of painful circumstances in order to build up our endurance in our faith. Because we have been trained, we do not give up. We keep fighting and we receive the gain of victory over our enemy, all because God has trained us so well. He has trained us to endure. So don't resist, then, the painful events that God brings into your life. Those painful events are not a sign that God does not love you. Actually, the pain involved in endurance training is a sign that God loves you very much. God is using that training and that discipline to grow your faith so that it endures until the end of your life. The pain that God is bringing into your life is not a waste of time for you. It is instead a pain that God will use to build endurance in you so that you can win. Today, some of you are perhaps tired as you live out your Christian life. You're tempted to quit, just like the Hebrew Christians were tempted to quit in the face of persecution. If you would like to quit, listen again to the words of Hebrews 12 and verses 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. This is a picture of a weary, discouraged runner who wants to give up. Just about every morning in the summertime, I see weary and discouraged runners running along the side of the road. They look like they want to quit. But you know what? They keep going. And so the author is saying to us here, don't give up. The race is long, but you can endure. God has trained you for this. And these verses are a picture of someone staying on the straight paths of righteousness rather than getting off the path and going down the wrong road. If you love Jesus and you have faith in Jesus, you are on the right path. Jesus is the only way to God. He will reward you at the right time. So don't give up. Just keep going. Your God loves you very much. He loves you so much that he has brought discipline into your life to help you to endure. If you're tired, pray to Jesus. Pray to your great high priest. And he will give you the strength that you need for this moment to keep going. Your pain is not a sign that God is against you. Your pain instead proves that God loves you and wants you to endure. Well, you endure not only because God loves you, but you also endure because you want to see God. There is a reward for all that you are enduring. There is a reward for all that discipline and all that training that you are going through. What is the reward that people who are going through a 
a rigorous exercise program want? What do they want for all of their exercise? They want perhaps to lose weight or to get stronger or to be able to win in an athletic competition or just to feel healthy. All of those are, are good reasons to go through exercise. But what is the reward that we Christians seek for all of the pain and the discipline and the endurance that we are going through? What do we want above everything else? We find it at the end of verse 14. There we are told to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What do we want? We want to see God. That's what we want more than anything else. We hunger and thirst to see God and to live in His presence. That's what we want more than anything. What could be better than that? Every fall I see pictures of people on the news standing in long, long lines in order to buy the latest version of the iPhone. This year, Apple lovers will eagerly stand in line so that they can purchase the iPhone 12. People can't wait to see the latest features on this phone. And they can't wait to own this phone for themselves and use it. To see and to have the latest iPhone, well, that is just plain awesome. You know what? There's something even more awesome than an iPhone. Can you imagine what that might be? That would be God. God is much more awesome than an iPhone. And when you see God, you see the one who just by the power of his word created the whole universe. When you see God, you see the one who is more beautiful than anything that he has created. He is more beautiful than the most majestic mountain or the most spectacular sunset. After all, it was God who created these things. And he has more beauty in himself than in anything that he has made. And when you see God, you see the one who is so great that he loved you even when you were his enemy, when you lived in rebellion against him. And his love for you is so great that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you might be forgiven and live with him for all eternity. Can you imagine seeing such love from God in his eyes for you? That is what we Christians want to see. And that is why we Christians rejoice in the promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Let's read that verse together out loud. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now notice who it is who sees God. The pure in heart, the holy, those are the ones who see God. The author of Hebrews makes the same point in verse 14 of chapter 12. He says that we in the church need to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So church, holiness is not optional for the Christian. You need to be righteous. 
Sometimes when I talk to people about holiness, people look at me as if to say, look, pastor, I don't want to be one of those people. I just want to be normal, you know? I don't want to be holy. Well, let's be clear then that to be holy is not to be perfect. But a holy person is someone who seeks and pursues after God. Because deep in their heart, they want to be like God. They want to be righteous and holy like God is holy. They want to be like their Heavenly Father. They want to do that because if you are holy, you receive an incredible reward. You will see God in all of His holiness as you pursue your own holiness. Please do not hear what I am not saying here. I am not saying that we are saved because of our own obedience. No one is saved by their own good works. Holiness, then, is not a condition of salvation. But holiness is the consequence of salvation. If you have been saved by Jesus Christ, you will necessarily be holy. So do you see any signs of holiness in your life? If you are a Christian, you should. Church, strive for holiness. And church, strive to help other people run the race of the Christian life. Christianity is a team sport. Therefore, verse 14 says, we are to strive for peace with everyone in the church because we are all on a journey together heaven. So how are your relationships with people in this church? Are you at peace with everyone? It takes hard work to keep the peace in a church with so many different people and personalities and agendas. We are to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, according to verse 15. So is there someone in this church that you're not talking to today? Is there someone in this church that you just walked right by because there's a strain in your relationship? It's not right. The writer says, make peace, because together we are walking toward heaven. We are indeed to see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, because heaven is a great gift. What a gift it is for us to see God. So let's keep the peace so that all the people in our church might see God one day. Let's have no root of bitterness spring up in our church that causes trouble, according to verse 15. This phrase refers to a story in Deuteronomy 29, when a group of people from Israel abandoned their faith in God and worshipped false gods instead. They fell away from their faith and became apostate, just like the readers of Hebrews were tempted to do. The author of Hebrews is saying that the loss of faith in Jesus is like a contagious disease that can spread in a church. It's like COVID-19. It spreads from one person to the next. Don't lose your faith. Keep following Jesus. Endure until the end.
As a negative example to follow, the author of Hebrews concludes this part of Hebrews 12 by talking about a story regarding Esau. Do you remember Esau from the book of Genesis? What did he do that was bad? We see in verse 16 that Esau was unholy. He sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau had something incredibly precious in this birthright from his father Isaac. But what did Esau do with that precious birthright? He traded this birthright for one single meal just because he was hungry. Esau is a very 21st century person. He just cared about his temporary happiness rather than about his eternal joy. Esau felt the pain of hunger at that moment, and he sought to dull the pain with pleasure. In this case, the pleasure of food. There was also the pleasure of sexual immorality mentioned in verse 16, which probably refers to Esau marrying a couple of Hittite women who were not worshipers of God. They would lead Esau astray from worshiping the one true God. But Esau didn't care. And so when Esau felt pain, he immediately looked for a worldly pleasure in order to ease his pain. And we Christians today will face the same temptation. It's painful to endure in the Christian life. It's hard to keep going and to stay away from sin. So what are we tempted to do with regard to sin in order to ease our pain? Maybe it is sexual immorality of some kind, whether in the form of pornography or some sexual relationship outside of marriage. Or maybe we will look for joy in our food to ease our pain. Maybe we're going to have a half gallon of ice cream tonight for supper to try to ease our pain. Or maybe we will seek for joy in racking up debt on our credit card to do more and more shopping for things that we don't need. Maybe that will ease our pain. Or maybe we will ease our pain by overindulging in entertainment options binge-watching various TV shows. Or maybe you will try to ease our pain through alcohol or prescription drugs. None of these things will completely ease our pain. But they give us a moment, a brief moment of pleasure. And that's what we seek to overcome our pain. But think about the consequences when you pursue a worldly pleasure instead of enduring with Christ. What happened to Esau when he gave up a long-term blessing for a very brief moment of pleasure with his meal? He lost his faith. He became an apostate. In the words of verse 17, he found no chance to repent. Church, it takes training and endurance to finish the Christian life. It's not easy to live a disciplined life. So what can help you to endure? Knowing that the discipline and the training that you are receiving is a sign of God's love for you helps you to endure. God is not against you. He's for you. 
That's why he's training you. That keeps you going. And knowing as well that you have a great reward at the end of your journey keeps you going as well. You will see God if you endure in your faith. And there is absolutely nothing better than that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are training us to endure in the race of faith. I pray for all who are here today that they will not give up on their faith. I pray instead that they will keep going. I pray that they will trust in you. I pray that they will be reassured of your love for us in those moments of discipline. And I pray that we will be faithful to endure so that we will receive the incredible reward of seeing you one day. In your great name we pray.